if we really truly care about sustainability and the future of the planet, like if that really is what we care about, then we can't always prioritize profit. It, it has to equalize at least. Welcome to Rule Breaker Style Maker, a podcast breaking down the so-called fashion rules that we hold and that hold us back in our life and our style. Through conversations with industry guests and the Australian Style Institute team, we explore how breaking a rule can change your life. I'm your host, Lauren Bartolo. Let's get into today's episode. We would like to begin by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we record today, and pay our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome back. Today, we're joined by special guest Courtney Holm. Courtney is not only a fashion designer, educator and founder of fashion label AVCH, she's leading the way in the sustainable and circular design. In this episode, I got to tap into her extensive knowledge. She shares what sustainability looks like for a fashion brand and how she's disrupting the industry. She proves that commercial success can be redefined. I know you'll gain value in the practical tips that will help you navigate the sometimes overwhelming sustainability topic and your own wardrobe. Let's get into the conversation. This episode was brought to you by Australian Style Institute. Study to pursue your dream career in styling and gain the skills to change your life. Courtney, thank you for joining me today. Could you give us some insight into how did you arrive at this point? What's led you to this moment? Wow. Okay. Big question. I'll try to keep the short version, (laughs) but it's, it's funny. It's not like such a linear journey. I really think that a lot of things have come together to bring me to where I am today. And it's cool. That's the way my life kind of has always unfolded, but it wasn't kind of always known that I would do this. Mm -hmm. Some people know exactly what they want to do when they grow up. And I was just like, I just want to do something creative. (laughs) So for me, I have a lot of interests and I'm always looking for something else. And I think that's why things kind of move in a, in that nonlinear sort of fashion. So anyway, how did I get here? I did study fashion, graduated in 2012 and studied fashion and textiles. I actually majored in menswear. So that was kind of my focus was how do I make menswear but do something really outrageous and different and follow my creative dreams. And I quickly realized that that wasn't really what I was passionate about. I was I was much more interested in like the ecology side of fashion and making and the craftsmanship. And I guess I look back on my life and I see like how I was raised and like my mom like really raised me to care about quality things. And even like she's not like a fashion person by any means, but she was always like against synthetics and, you know, teaching me how to feel a fabric and tell if it was natural fibers or not. And I think that something like about that really stuck with me because I really care about quality. I really care about how something was made, the process. And I'm really curious about kind of every step that needs to be taken in order for that to happen. So I guess after I finished school, I did a couple of different 
little ventures until I landed on this kind of idea that I wanted to do something in the sustainability realm and went on this kind of journey of research and development to try to figure out what does sustainability actually mean in a fashion label? Like what, what does that mean? Like I can't just say I'm going to start a sustainable fashion line. I know a lot of people say that these days, but in 2015, when I was thinking it, I was like, no, I need to know what that means to me specifically. And that's when I really started learning a lot more about um, systems and circular design and the circular economy. These concepts were completely un unknown to me before that point. And so I started researching them. And that's kind of how ABCH was, was born, was this, can we make a circular fashion label? Can we make a, a fashion brand that has these values that we don't budge from? And that's kind of where it all started and where it is now. I guess we're still doing that, which is cool because you know, six and a half years since we launched the brand. It's pretty cool that it's still going, but we kind of see it as this ongoing sort of experimental project. And we're constantly sort of testing ideas out and seeing how we can push that, that concept of living up to our values and making clothes for a circular economy. So it's kind of a, at the moment we are making clothes and selling them, but who knows what we will do in the future. Like it's a very kind of open kind of future for us, I think. Yeah. That's such an amazing approach to take to fashion. I think so many designers start a brand with a very specific aesthetic is a big part of it. Often that drives mm. why someone will even launch a fashion brand how then does aesthetics play into sustainability and a circular brand that is always evolving? As you said, the future mm. might look quite different to the past. I think aesthetics are super important because for me, it's not about following a trend. And I think if I think back to when I was at school and I was learning fashion design and I was learning how to pattern make and, I, you know, I was going through all the motions, I was never really that interested in kind of creating these new trendy items. Mm -hmm. I was much more interested in the kind of historical garments and understanding how something was made. And that's probably why I gravitated towards menswear was there was this more kind of focus on quality and craftsmanship and these styles that could have this longevity over time. Mm -hmm. And so I think with ABCH specifically, I've always kind of thought about, okay, what are the styles that are these kind of pieces that you always return to in your wardrobe. And I'm not saying that people can't gravitate towards trends or go for maximalist things, but ABCH is kind of supposed to be these core pieces that everybody can participate in. And then if you want to build those additional pieces into it from elsewhere, like we're not going to try to fill every single gap. But what we want to do is create those building block pieces that are designed well, that you can wear for years and years and years and still love and still feel like they're your favorite garment and make you feel good when you put it on. And that's kind of where the aesthetic drive comes from is more around longevity of style rather than, oh, puff sleeves are in fashion. Let's, let's make a puff sleeve shirt. Like it's not, that's just not how I, <laughs> nothing against puff sleeve shirts, <laughs> but it's just not how we set the brand up to, to be. And it takes that pressure off actually of, this seasonal churn and it becomes much more about, okay, if a product needs to take a bit longer to develop because we want to be sure that people like it and it's working well, 
and we want to test it more. It's not going to kind of be released in this very strict schedule of the fashion calendar. It might take a year to develop. It might take that long for us to be sure that a color is going to last in terms of, again, style longevity. And so it's a different cadence and it's a much slower approach. It's not the, it's not the kind of typical way of, of producing fashion lines for like a retail brand. Not at all. Mm. <laughs> it's the antithesis of that. I love hearing you say that, you know, you started with menswear. Menswear is designed for longevity. Women's is certainly not and hasn't been. We've had fashion catered to the trends that are around, which also means as well that there's been traditionally an expectation for women to keep up with that, mm. which is exhausting. It's mm -hmm. also hugely wasteful. But I think it can have us sway or ignore what our core style is when we're constantly adapting to what's around. So with that focus on longevity, I love hearing it can take a year. Is it a luxury to have that amount of time or is it just a non-negotiable? It's kind of both, I suppose. I think it's a luxury in the sense that, you know, we're, we're not holding ourselves to this kind of fast fashion calendar and the reason the fast fashion calendar or the or just the fashion calendar exists is because the business needs to make money and it needs to be constantly generating new sales from new styles and it's amazing even the customers that we you know have been hearing from us for a long time they'll be like oh what's new and like what are the new things and it's like well we're repeating this style because we know it works. We know people love it, but we might try a new colorway or we might just adapt a few things that we've learned along the way to help it be more repairable in the future or to have more longevity from more of a like durability perspective. And so, yeah, I guess it's a luxury in the sense that we're able to kind of pursue this very pure version of a fashion brand or a fashion line. But it's also a non-negotiable because it's part of the, the ethos. And we were never really on the trajectory to make large volumes of clothing um, in, a, in a short amount of time. And in, in, in those squeezed time frames, you make decisions, you take shortcuts. There's a lot of things that you're just doing because you have to pump it out. But if you ask yourself why... Like, why do we need to put those pressures on ourselves? It's a self-imposed pressure. And so, again, like that, back to that experimentation. So ABCH, we're really experimenting with some of the concepts around like what is required as, as a fashion brand. And we're experimenting with the very model itself, not just, oh, we're going to make different kinds of clothes. We're going to choose this specific aesthetic, but we're actually challenging why do things need to be produced at this rate and how can it be sustainable from a business perspective and a, you know, ecological perspective to produce this way. From the business perspective, a lot of brands will say that they can't take a sustainable route, at least not in the beginning, because of the commercial constraints that that brings. Mm. You've defied that with ABCH. If someone does want to start a brand or even just support a brand mm. and move toward more sustainable choices or sustainable brands, is it possible? I mean, you would be showing us that it is to have both sustainable and commercial success. Yeah. I, I think it's possible. The, the issue though, is that the fundamental measure of success is not aligned. And so 
how I see success and define success is not just the bottom line in terms of revenue, profit and loss. And it can't be. If we really truly care about sustainability and and the future of the planet, like if that really is what we care about, then we can't always prioritize profit. It, it has to equalize at least. And so from my perspective, you know, there's kind of this tension of, you said, is it possible? Of course it's possible, but like we're doing it, but it's not going to yield the same result that just every other fashion brand has. And without the paradigm shift, you can't get there. Like you can't mentally get there. So you have to have that shift of, of how you think about it. And it's scary because it's early. Like you're doing this before the industry is doing it. You're doing it before, you know, the business sector has said, oh yes, actually we will look at environmental, like imp impact or footprint as equal to profit and, and measure those two things side by side. Like that's not happening as much as people are like trying to tick boxes around ESG. It's not necessarily translating. And I guess if we look at the root of all of it, overproduction and overconsumption is fueling everything. And the conversation about being perfect when it comes to sustainability could really actually ease off a lot if we just produced less. Okay. Can you tell me more about this? That's huge, <laughs> what you've just said. <laughs> well, And that is a paradigm shift Yeah, when it comes to being consumers and wearers mm. of fashion. So clothes have never been made to be sustainable, like consciously, mm -hmm. but people spent money on clothes and then valued them and then repaired them and handed them down and took care of them. And what's happening right now is clothes have become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And some might say that's, you know, democratizing fashion, but actually if you do care about equality, you'll see that it's not democratizing fashion for the people that are making the clothes. The people that are making the clothes are not getting wealthier. They're not able to afford even the clothes that they're producing. So that 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 argument to me is not um, is not valid. And I think that we're paying far too little for clothes. And it's enabling us to buy more and more and more and produce way more waste, increasing the kind of toll that fashion is having on the planet overall. And so if we were to consume much less and we were able to focus more on those kinds of high cycles of use phases, like reuse, repair, you know, handing down to your siblings, whatever it might be, the things that we don't really value anymore, the things that we don't invest in anymore, because we're busy and we have other stuff to do, I think those are the things that can help slow down the flow of clothing, but it's never going to stop unless things actually become a little bit more inaccessible. So it's actually a little bit of a, of a tricky one because we're so used to clothes being cheap. And we glorify when they're cheap. Absolutely. We share that we've found, oh my gosh, this bargain. Yeah. You wouldn't believe, you know, what a steal but it's stealing from something when something is a steal. It's not, it's not, <laughs> a, it's not a bargain for everyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's a, and I, I get the conversation is, is nuanced, but, and I'm not saying every garment should be like completely luxury prices or anything like that. Like there is a balance that can be found, but the problem is there's just too much. It's too cheap. There's too much of it. 
And if actually we consumed a lot less and we invested our time and efforts into keeping the things we have and buying things we really love and care about, not Mm -hmm. just the latest trend, Mm -hmm. then we save money as individuals ourselves. But we also don't have to stress out so much about this thing being perfectly sustainable necessarily because you just keeping it and having it in your wardrobe for a really long time is already far more sustainable than that recycled poly thing that you bought that you wear three times and you bought it because it was more sustainable, but you don't wear it and you throw it away or you donate it, but it's too nasty to be used by someone else. So it's, again, it's like, it's kind of this like shift of thinking and where we place our values. Mm. And for me, it's actually, I used to consume a lot of fast fashion when I was, well, when I was younger, we didn't really have fast fashion as it is today. We had like the kind of high street brands, I guess, or like the lower price point high street brands. And yes, when I was younger, I had to save up for those things and put things on lay-by. Like that's how long ago this was. But... To me, I spent all my money on clothes. Every bit of money I got from my job, I spent on clothing. I don't have any of that stuff anymore. It wasn't good quality. I don't even remember what I bought. Like, it's all gone. Like, and it probably was gone within a year of me purchasing it. And I think that it's really a shift in thinking for now. I I would never buy something. I would think about something for so long before I purchased it. And if it sells out, I'm like, well, then it wasn't meant to be you know? And I'm actually much more interested in finding things secondhand that have already lived a life and have shown kind of this, that they can stand the test of time, so to speak. So, or making my own clothes. Something that you are uniquely qualified to do. Yeah. And not it's a skill that so many of us, you know, yeah. don't have. I'm hearing that one of the key metrics is longevity. And mm. I think with that, I, I love the saying that nothing has meaning except for the meaning that we give it. So even a hand-me-down in, you know, when I was growing up was like a, oh, my parents didn't value me enough would be the conversation to buy me my own clothes. Yeah. I always got lumped with whatever else was already, you know, being worn by a sibling perhaps. And I think that that has changed. I, I've, I've always loved vintage and thrift shopping. and mm. But there was a time when I was in my early 20s where that still wasn't cool. Yeah. I even remember being actually on a weekend away with my boyfriend at the time and Mm. seeing on an A-frame outside of a shop, we sell dead people's clothes. (laughs) And I remember thinking like, oh, no wonder we have this connotation of like something smelling like an op shop and needing to be washed so many times. Mm. And so there was a level of unconscious shame might be too big of a word, but I definitely wasn't. Stigma. Yeah. Yeah. I I wasn't confidently telling everyone where I just sourced this amazing thing. Whereas now if I... I find something that's, you know, a new sustainable label or if it is from a Vinnie's, for example, I would say it with pride. Exactly. Look at this fantastic thing that I've got and I know I'm going to keep forever. Mm -hmm. How much has changed in such a relatively short period of time? But I imagine it doesn't feel like a short period of time for you, given that you've been pioneering a lot of the changes, at least that we're seeing here in Australia when it comes to sustainability and rethinking our approach to fashion. Yeah, um, things have changed a fair bit, I think, in the last, like, I would say three years. Mm -hmm. Things seem to have accelerated quite a bit. The conversation in the industry and even just with, I guess, more focus from the government on waste reduction and addressing textiles and, you know, there's just been kind of these bigger shifts happening, I think, 
that are more broad. And so, it's for someone that is mm, interested in sustainability, yeah. can you give us a snapshot mm. of what those shifts are now? Sure, yeah. I guess one of the biggest ones would be um, that the Australian government has identified that textile waste is an issue and are willing to kind of support how we go dealing with some of that waste, especially because of the pressure on us in Australia to not be exporting all of our waste. We need to start to figure out how to deal with it in the place that it is. And so what happens in Australia is that we have a we have a really strong reuse market. So the charity sector is actually like really fantastic, but we have so much of it that they cannot possibly deal with it all themselves. Um, so we send 220,000 tonnes of textiles to landfill every year. And then around the same amount goes to the charity shops for donations. And then a bit more than that actually goes offshore to be exported as reuse textiles. I Sorry, I did little quotation marks with my, with my hands <laughs> because a lot of those things are unwearable and they get sorted in a different country. They don't even get sorted in, in Australia. They're sorted in a different country and then they go to goodness knows where after that because that's where the paper trail stops. So we have this difficulty in Australia where we don't know how to deal with our own waste and it's not just in textiles, it's across the board with all sorts of different waste, plastics, everything. So Following on from kind of the government having this like, oh, we have textiles as an issue. The Australian Fashion Council basically was able to secure some funding to build a kind of roadmap, shovel-ready roadmap, they called it, as a product stewardship scheme that would help to start address some of this and put some funding back into local Australian industry to actually be able to sort, collect, sort and process some of this waste. And the idea is that there's going to be a four cent levy placed on every single garment that is produced in Australia. So whether it's imported into Australia or made in Australia, any Australian um, based business would be paying four cents on every garment that they make. And a distinction between make and sell. So it's tell not me about that. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just like whatever you sell will take a four cent levy on all those garments, mm -hmm. but it's what you produce. And so if you're overproducing, you pay for that. And it's a small, but an incentive to, I guess, make businesses rethink overproduction, potentially reduce some of that so that they can reduce their levy. And at the moment, the scheme is voluntary, but the plan is for it to become co-regulated or regulated in the future, which would mean that all of the international brands that bring clothes into Australia would also have to pay that levy, not just the Australian-based brands. Does the same thing apply if you're using dead stock or excess fabrics? It's the yep. same. Any garment that is created yep. will, okay. Yep. Yeah, so there will be an eco-modulation. So mm -hmm. if you're using recycled materials or monomaterials, yep. you will get like a three cent will be the, the levy instead of, so it's a one cent discount. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to tap into your expertise and knowledge here. I get asked the question often, other than mm. longevity of a piece, what are some of the ways that I can navigate sustainable choices or to become more sustainable? It's a, it's a great one. I always like to start with your values. So you're coming back to this kind of very fundamental question that you want to ask yourself and everybody's answer will be different. So for me personally, I'm really passionate about natural fibers and I guess this this might be a little technical, but this idea of biological materials that can return back to the earth safely and not kind of cause these really long lasting damages from 
synthetics, plastics that stick around forever. So for me, I'm not going to buy a garment that's full of plastic um, or even has any plastic in it unless it is secondhand and it is a particularly fit for purpose thing that needs that synthetic material. And an example of that might be activewear, where there is not really a lot of options out there for natural fiber activewear right now. So I will get the most hard-wearing, durable activewear I can find. It's not trendy. It's not terribly made. It's made really well. And I will keep that and use that for as long as possible. So sometimes you can't meet every single criteria, but in general, for the clothes I wear every day next to my skin, I want to choose natural fibers. And that's really important for me. Another thing that's important to me is the ethics of how it was made. So where was it made? What are the labor laws in that country? What can I actually do about it if, if it's good or bad? Mm-hmm. Um, and I will prioritize garments made in Australia because I, I personally have a connection with the makers of, of the Australian industry. I'm really passionate about supporting those people. And so if something is made in Australia, that is like going to be prioritized over something that isn't. So, you know, picking out what your values are, it might be no animal products in your, in your clothing. It might be that you're only wanting to buy things to fit into a capsule wardrobe and you don't want to buy anything else outside of that because you know that if you do, it's a, it's a slippery slope. So that's another one for me Such is a keeping it slope. tight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. W- if one thing comes in, something else has to go out. Okay. And there needs to be a good reason for that thing going out. Yeah. So it's not, it doesn't fit me anymore. It's yeah. not able to be repurposed. Yeah, whatever. It's completely torn, worn to bits. So yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah, so I think that would be a good place to start because then once you have those kind of foundations it's going to help you make decisions when you're shopping, whether it's secondhand or brand new, whether it's just trying to cull your wardrobe and find the things that actually resonate with you. But I think that that's a, that's a good place to start. And then probably a follow-up to that would be to, to try to get a sense of what your style is and what makes you feel really good. What makes you feel like your best self? And if you, if you're trying on an item or you're thinking about buying an item and you cannot imagine that thing being worn for, you know, 10 years time and make and still making you feel amazing. I know it's not always easy to know exactly how you're going to feel in the future, but thinking about it as best as you can. I noticed on the ABCH website, there are the popular pieces. Why do you think those pieces are most popular? I know it might sound mm. obvious. It's like, well, they're staples for any wardrobe. Yeah. But I think within that can uncover for if anyone is feeling uncertain in their style. It tells us a lot. Yeah, I guess the best sellers are pieces that people always ask after, even if, you know, we have a period of we can't get the fabric or it's sold out and people are like, when's this style coming back? And a lot of it is is in monochrome colors. <laughs> Generally, like our customer color is black. Yep. So I I love black. I'm wearing either black or undyed mostly is my wardrobe. Actually, I'm I'm perfectly dressed today for that. You said something there, which I think a lot of people might not know, which is undyed. Mm. So you said you gravitate toward black a lot, but tell us about undyed because a lot of yeah. people just assume that the color t-shirt, for example, that they get is the color that it was originally in. <laughs> That's yeah. just what the fabric is. True. Yeah. Well, I mean... 
Undyed is literally the color of the fiber as it came out of nature. So I am obsessed with undyed because for me, the color that nature has provided is already so beautiful. And I think that, you know, sure, we humans can do all sorts of fancy things to stuff and we can, we can dye things. And like, I love black and black is a very intensive dye. Um, I'm, I'm very aware of that, but there's something so beautiful about something that's come out of the earth as it is. And it's, it, it translates differently for different products. So for cotton, it usually comes out as this kind of soft, creamy sort of color. It's like an accru sort of, I don't know, um, yeah, very kind of mild, creamy white color. And that color is just so beautiful to me. It's more beautiful than like a f- optic white. And it suits so many people's skin tones as well. Maybe because it's from nature and not this artificial thing. Um, I don't know. But it's it's a really beautiful color. And besides from the coloring and just aesthetic of undyed, it's such a great thing for people that have skin sensitivities or any sort of like allergies to dyes or synthetics. Um, wearing undyed can be a lot more gentle on your skin. So there's a lot of people that have irritation to dyes and 99.9% of all the dyes out there are synthetic dyes. So that's huge. I mean, it's all of them basically. You can get natural dyes, but they're just not, they're not feasible in the world because they require a lot more resources to, to, to fix. And then even once they're fixed, they wash out over time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you bought a black garment, you didn't buy a black garment to be gray the next week or or whatever it might be. So, yeah. So undyed is great. And, you know, like a linen undyed is this beautiful flaxy, like brown color. And you can also get cotton that's green and brown and you can get all these beautiful different hues of cotton and that's natural that's from the earth it's not a genetically modified process and so yeah I mean it's not for everybody the whole undyed world but I'm really fascinated with it and I that aesthetic is something I've always pushed you mentioned earlier a new project that you're working on it sounds like a game changer can you tell us more about it yeah, it's, um, it's super exciting. So last year we got a grant from Sustainability Victoria's Circular Economy Business Innovation Fund. That's not a mouthful. Not a mouthful <laughs> at all. And we were able to, through that grant, so ABCH, we had this idea. We wanted to build this platform that allowed ourselves and other businesses to sell their surplus materials um, and kind of recirculate them back out into the industry. So when a mill has leftover fabrics at the end of a season – being able to sell those onto a brand. And you might think, why is that not happening already? And that's exactly the question I had when I was in, you know, the early days of ABCH, seeing all this surplus material around, thinking, what's happening to this fabric? And we got this grant and the idea is that we would build this pilot, we would see how um, it went. If we built a kind of minimum viable product, we put it out there, we got some sellers on board and we let's see how, let's see how it goes. So the platform's called Circular Sourcing. We launched it um, this year in July and we did a 12-week pilot of it being live. So it's very recently kind of wrapped up 
and the results were really strong. We actually recirculated five tons of textiles wow. in 12 weeks. And our goal was 10 tons in a year and because all of our projections had to be annual. And so for us to do that in 12 weeks was pretty phenomenal. <laughs> the response from sellers and buyers has been so good. So we're going to turn it into its own business and it's going to live its own life out there in the world, hopefully. But yeah, we really want to keep these beautiful, high quality materials in use. All of the textiles we have in Australia are really high quality because Australians have a bit of a, you know, th there's a there's a quality sort of baseline here. We don't really import really horrible materials into this country. So these fabrics are beautiful. A lot of them have been made in Australia with Australian cotton and Australian wool. So there's wow. this beautiful kind of origin story as well that can be told. But just, you know, regardless of where the material came from, the quality is high. There's nothing wrong with them. And these materials, they should be going back into the hands of businesses who can put them to good use, make beautiful products out of them. Yeah. And so they call it dead stock textiles. I don't necessarily like that term, but people kind of get that term pretty quickly. It kind of means the fabrics left behind at the end of a season. Whether you're a small brand, a big brand, or a mill, or a manufacturer, there's all, everyone has dead stock at some level. So the home sewers can buy the smaller quantities. Yeah. The brands can buy the bigger quantities. There's this beautiful circle of life that can exist with these materials that currently doesn't exist at all in Australia. And one of the really amazing things is that the seller feedback has been incredibly great. Like everybody's excited, everybody's on board and they wanted they want to get on the platform. But, you know, don't give them too much credit. They also are getting money. Like they're getting they're getting revenue back from these materials that were otherwise what going to get burned, going to go to landfill, going to sit in a warehouse for 10 years. That's honestly most people just put it out of sight, out of mind. But, you know, it's 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 really great because it's like a win-win. Sellers can make revenue. The materials goes back into the industry, back into the hands of people that can use it, and it's it's kind of the most beautiful picture of circular economy because people are getting something out of it. It's not just donating the materials, but they're actually getting revenue back for that. So in an economic crisis like we're in now, I'm sure lots of businesses would like to move that on and make money from it. So, I mean, yes, good. <laughs> <laughs> I heard said, and it, I think it's it's something that's going around at the moment, that we've made all of the fashion that we will ever need to make mm. for everyone in the world to have all of the clothes they will ever need mm -hmm. already. <laughs> <laughs> What's your take on that? Do you think it's true? Oh, I think we've definitely made enough clothes for everybody to be clothed for a very long time. I don't know how helpful it is because it's not going to stop production, sadly. So I don't know. I don't know if I have a lot to add yeah. other than, yeah, probably. <laughs> doesn't mean it would either be the style either that we would actually want to wear. But yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's probably shocking for a lot of people just how much production exists. You mentioned before that you look to where something is made, mm -hmm. how it's made. What are some of the resources that you could uh, share with people listening 
to become better consumers, mm. more I mean, informed, more educated. Mm. I mean, learning how to see what quality is, I think is really, it's probably not a much talked about thing. Mm. Like I feel like I learned from my mum, right? Yeah, you said that's a childhood yeah. experience. Yeah. I mean, you'd be it's able like to determine. Knowledge. Yes. And which many people have never experienced. Yeah, like ha- like looking inside a garment yep. at the seams, pulling on them a little bit, seeing like, oh, is this going to hold up over multiple use, especially if it's got any amount of, if it's meant to be a fitted garment or stretched or anything like that. If it's got a zipper, like looking around where the zipper is stitched in and is it fraying already? Is it like, like are the buttons tight? Are they loose? You know, just like little things around. And maybe people are more intuitive about this than than I'm giving people credit for. But just having a look at the details of a garment and being able to almost determine, like, is this good quality? Do I feel like this is good quality? And, you know, that's kind of those little details combined with what fibers it's made of. Like, is it mostly polyester? This also can help save you money. If you're looking at a quite expensive garment and you look at the fiber content and it's like 100% polyester and you're like, why is this an $800 dress? when this is literally the cheapest material to be produced in the world. Is the design that amazing? Is it? Is there so much detailing in it? Is the quality impeccable? Like, have a look, Is you know, and, and make a call because I think that you might have more of a sense than you realize about what quality is. I don't know if that's helpful. Resources. So helpful. <laughs> that's so helpful. Yeah, mm. some resources that people could go to, some websites. A good baseline to start with I would suggest is good on you just because it's a it's a good place to start they have pretty much most brands on there and you can get an an overview and I would say that from there like go and do some more research as well and learn a little bit more about it if you want to but that will give you like a nice like overview general sort of view if that makes sense and you can get it as an app and you know nice and easy. If you want to do a little bit more of a deeper dive, there's some really great um, kind of activists and like resources I could direct you to. We could even put them in the show notes if you like. Um, Aja Barber is one of my favorites. I don't know. um, Yeah. If anyone's heard of, of, of her work before, but she wrote a book called Consumed and she also is on Instagram and um, has a Patreon and talks a lot about this very kind of consumer level, how to shop better, how to look for sustainable markers in a, in a garment, but also the greater kind of issues with the industry. So she's a fantastic resource to follow. Um, Claire Press, Mrs. Press, love her work as well. She's, she's great to follow. And yeah, can share a couple more um, if that's useful. I think, yeah, there's some, there's some, there's some good voices out there that can provide some some guidance that is quite helpful. But yeah, in terms of other resources, yeah, there's some there's some really good books out there. I don't know if it's too much to read a book. <laughs> <laughs> Audiobook. So there is a, a book that really opened my eyes. It's called um, To Die For. Die spelled D-Y. D-Y-E. <laughs> so it's all about the toxins and chemicals that are in dyes okay. and in finishes that are in clothing. And it will really make you think a lot about buying something from, you know, those kind of unknown. I'm not talking about like your H&Ms and your Zara's like 
not so much those brands, but your like really cheap fast fashion brands that don't have a lot of information that are, you know, the quick thing you pick up on the way to the to the event because you you didn't dress appropriately or you know the, those things. It's pretty intense, but th- this book is is a, is is a serious book. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to learn about, it, I would say start there because it's it is serious. But if if you if you need some time to warm up to it, mm-hmm. like. That's understandable. But anyway, it's by Alden Wicker and um, it's really recent as well. I think she released it earlier this year. So it's great. And very, again, very consumer facing kind of focused. So you as an individual buying clothes in the world, what do you need to know? So I think that's quite helpful rather than the bigger industry stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of books about those as well. I think from a, like, I'm an individual and I have to buy clothes. I have to clothe myself. Like, I should be informed. Yeah. So true. And we look at things like feminine hygiene and it's so much more regulated. You know, we're becoming yeah. informed. We have been for some years now about what we're actually putting into our bodies. Yeah. I think what we put on our bodies mm. is a later consideration. Yeah. I think and there's so much that we still don't know. absorbs so much yeah. as an organ it's it is absorbing those things and so Mm. I mean yeah I think that it's we should be thinking about that stuff just for our own health and safety sustainability like aside like just just our own personal health and safety yeah yeah I'm so grateful for your time and you sharing your incredible knowledge. It's so vast and so detailed. And I'm so excited to see what happens with these new projects and how people can actively become more engaged in sustainability in such a practical way. But the one key takeaway that I I know that everyone will be able to implement is consideration of quality gives longevity. And longevity is one of the easiest metrics Mm and attainable ways to become more sustainable. Yeah. I'm really inspired by everything you're doing and I highly recommend that everyone check out the ABCH website and uh, details will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Courtney. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Rule Breaker, Style Maker. If you'd like to keep up to date with new episodes, podcast news and what we do at ASI, be sure to follow our Instagram at Australian Style Institute. And if you're wanting to follow my own personal style journey and all things human behavior of style, then you can follow my personal account at Lauren D. Bartolo. And I'll see you in the next episode.